welcome. Thank you to everyone joining us online and here at the Arizona State University California Center at the historic Herald Examiner Building. With great respect, Zocalo Public Square acknowledges the Yuhaviatam, the first people of this ancestral and unceded territory of Yaangna that we now know of as downtown Los Angeles. We honor their elders, past and present, and the Yuhaviatam descendants who are part of the Gabrielandio Tongva and the Fernandeño Tataviam nations. We recognize that the Tongva are still here and we are committed to lifting up their stories, culture, and community. As Kuuyam, we recognize our responsibility and obligation to care for their land. I'm Moira Shuri, the executive director of Zocalo Public Square, an Arizona State University media enterprise. At Zocalo, our mission is to connect people to ideas and to each other. Everything we do is free and everyone is welcome. We publish original writing and present conversations like this one. You can find us at zocalopublicsquare.org as a podcast and on YouTube. So please subscribe to find out more about our latest events. We are honored to partner with the Bergruen Institute, the Public Policy Institute of California, and the Pepperdine School of Public Policy for tonight's program to ask what um, well, I guess this is what we're asking. Is this what direct democracy looks like? So I'm pleased to introduce our co-presenter, Pete Peterson, Dean of the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. Thanks so much, Moira. It is great to be here. Again, I am Pete Peterson, the very grateful Dean of Pepperdine School of Public Policy, and that's why I like to have at least seven or eight feet of room here whenever I introduce myself. Uh, it, it, it's a real pleasure to be here and a partner with our civic-minded friends at Zocalo Public Square, the Bergruen Institute, and the Public Policy Institute of California. Uh, the School of Public Policy is in the midst of our 25th anniversary year, and one of the phrases that we often use at the policy school is that we're about putting the public back into public policy. So many of these graduate programs tend to inculcate a very much of an expert-driven model that we're preparing leaders that then go out and tell the public how stupid they are. Uh, we're now seeing how well that works, not very well. And so the question of what is the citizen's role in engaging in public policy, what is the public part of public policy, is something near and dear to our hearts, not only inside the classroom in what we teach, but also in the consulting and engagement that we do outside. One of our most popular institutes at Pepperdine is the Davenport Institute for Public Engagement. And over the course of the last decade, we have trained over 4,500 local government officials in how to better engage their residents in doing something called public policy. That work has also involved engaging in processes that have something to do with direct democracy including things like the Citizens Initiative Review, as well as deliberative polling. And so this issue around direct democracy, uh, what, it, what it's helpful in engaging, how it can be improved, how it's important to keep, and how Californians think about it, is really so important to us. And that's why, again, we're so delighted to be here partnering on this very important conversation. 
So without any further ado, I will bring up the moderator for today's discussion, my good friend, Nathan Gardells. Nathan is what I would call a civic entrepreneur. He is the founder and editor-in-chief of Noema Magazine, uh, which is published by the Bergruen Institute, where he's also a senior advisor. He's published articles and interviews with world leaders on a number of topics, but as I said, he has a particular interest and expertise in democracy and in democracy reform. Uh, we've had the great pleasure of partnering with him and the Bergruen Institute on public engagement projects here in California over the last decade. And so it's a great honor and pleasure to welcome up my friend, Nathan Gardells. Hello, everyone. Our other uh, panelists are joining us one by one. <laughs> and while they're sitting down, I want to thank you, Pete. I remember maybe a decade ago, you were running for Secretary of State for your job. Don't worry now, he's not, he's not running. You can have it, she says. Uh, and uh, then we discuss these very issues. So it takes a while for things to work themselves through the system. Um, you know, when, when I go around the world uh, talking about this topic, uh, today's discussion, uh, you run into two kinds of uh, audiences. Those who don't have a voice desperately want direct democracy. Those who have direct democracy are concerned about how to fix its considerable flaws. Uh, and that's where we are today in California. Uh, I would say uh, in the California case, uh, we've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly that comes from direct democracy. We've seen citizens vote to protect the coast uh, of California by establishing the Coastal Commission. That's the good, a, a good example of good. We've seen the bad. Two years ago, after the legislature passed a law making uh, ride-sharing services uh, from contractors to employees, passed by the legislature by a majority, Uber and Lyft spent $222 million, a record $222 million, to sway the public to successfully overturn the law through a referendum. And the next day, their stock value was up $13 billion. The process was used, obviously, for special interest uh, private benefits. And then there's the ugly. Uh, the ugly was when uh, the public voted against same-sex marriage and on services for immigrants. So you have the panoply of possibilities that come out of direct democracy. So what we're here today to discuss is how do we address uh, that and keep the good and get rid of the bad, uh, and what kind of reforms and changes can we make? So our panel uh, here today is uh, uh, Dr. Weber, uh, who's the Secretary of State. Um, she was appointed by uh, Governor Newsom and baptized by fire <laughs> in the uh, controversial uh, uh, recall election last year. Um, she's also a uh, four-term, is that four-term uh, in the assembly? How's that possible that there were term limits? That's only eight years. Okay, so four terms. <laughs> Uh, you can do 12. Okay, okay. Uh, and also, she's a, a, a longtime distinguished professor at Cal, at Cal State, uh, San Diego State uh, University. Um, 
Mark Baldessari, um, uh, people may know who follow these issues. You know, he's been heading the Public Policy Institute for many years. Um, it's really the far and away the most influential and prestigious uh, public policy institute in California. Uh, and uh, and he, his polling is very standard for everything that goes on in California. You often see it in the LA Times and other places. And he has some new polling we're going to talk about today, which is very interesting for this subject. And uh, going back a decade again, 2007, he wrote a book called uh, Coming Age of Direct Democracy, uh, which was after the first recall election of Schwarzenegger and Gray Davis. Uh, and John Matsusaka uh, is a professor at University of Southern California, USC, and heads the Initiative and Referendum Institute there. He's one of the big experts globally on uh, direct democracy issues. And he has a recent book, uh, obviously, which is timely and fits this topic called Let the People Decide. So um, Dr. Weber, can, let me start with you, if I may. So after the recall uh, election happened, um, Dr. Weber uh, saw a opportunity to address recall because it wasn't addressed after the Schwarzenegger issue. Uh, and there are a lot of problems with the recall. And so she asked uh, a bipartisan panel of former Governor Jerry Brown and former Chief Justice of the California Supreme Court, Ron George, to survey uh, the stakeholders out there and to review the process and, and make some recommendations to her. Um, and I worked on that with uh, Governor Brown and Chief Justice Ron George. Now, one of the, uh, so there are two kind of, uh, levels that came out of that. One was dealing directly with recall, and the other was initial reform. So first, let me ask about recall, uh, Dr. Weber. So the report uh, says uh, here that the present rules on recall elections do not meet the test of democratic principle, since an elected official must attain a majority to remain in office, while a challenger could replace him or her with a small plurality. This allows a fewer number of voters to disenfranchise a larger number. So there are some proposals in the legislature now to deal with this. Maybe you can give us what the status of that is and if you think they address the problem that uh, this democratic uh, deficit problem that I just mentioned. Well, thank you. And, and Nathan's being very modest about his role in this. He had a major role to play in, in, in that and I appreciate him having the time to do that while I was in the midst of obviously dealing with recall and every other election that has come since then. We've just had a tremendous number of elections. But, um, but yes, you know, the, there is an initiative, there is a, a, a proposition, SCA 6, I believe it, it'll be, it should be on the ballot in November. Uh, it's in the Senate right now, and hopefully it will, uh, Newsom is the, uh, uh, Newman, excuse me, is the uh, author. But um, it addresses the, the, the first part of the issue, is how do we ensure that whoever becomes the governor, if there is a recall, actually has the majority, uh, has a vote, has the support, because what happened with the first, with our recall, it was one thing that we could ensure, probably more than anything else, that if the governor had been recalled, whoever would take place would not have the majority vote of the public. And people became very aware of that because we had, you know, we had a small recall of 40 some odd people uh, running for governor, where before we had 130 something, but nonetheless, we had a large number, and it was sure that no one would get 50% plus one, which is what we believe a democracy should be about in terms of selecting the next person. So this, this piece of legislation decides that the only initiative on the ballot, if there is a recall, will be that. Should we recall the governor, yes or no? If, for, if he happens to be recalled, one of my suggestions was, and they've taken, is that the lieutenant governor would become governor. 
And depending on when the recall, when that takes place, the next election would be about selecting a governor. If it's close to the primary and there's time for people to file, uh, it would be, if they're still in their first year, year and a half, then they can run in the, 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 uh, the, the, the election that's not necessarily designed for the governor's election, but it is a statewide election. Uh, then we would have a, uh, and then we could choose who we want for governor. If it's close to the election, the person would serve, the lieutenant governor would serve until the end. So our thought is that that's what the, should happen for uh, always if you have a lieutenant governor. The lieutenant governor's role is to become governor in case there's something happens to the governor. Uh, and so, um, and so that was somewhat controversial because people believe it's some, as the uh, lieutenant governor mentioned, that there might be some antagonism between the two in terms of one working to make the other one, uh, you know, more desirable for a recall than someone else. But, uh, but in the end, we decided that that's probably of the best that we could do. Although um, there is another proposal that may end up on the ballot, and that was one that talks about making the, the governor, lieutenant governor, run it as a team as we do the president and vice president. So then you don't have that kind of antagonism that could possibly happen if you had a Republican lieutenant governor and a Democratic governor. Um, but there are many other things about the recall, as we found out in the, in, the, in the report, that's important. But that was the one that everybody somewhat agreed upon, that they didn't like the fact that you could choose the person to replace the governor by less than a majority. And we'd end up with someone, because even Schwarzenegger didn't get 50% plus one when he became governor. And so people could game the system a lot more uh, with, that, with that process than the other process. So that, will, that is right now a Senate um, uh, initiative um, that is um, a constitutional amendment, an SCA 6, that is in, uh, in the assembly, a uh, Senate, excuse me. It's going to the assembly. It does not have to have the signature of the governor. It goes straight to the ballot once it passes those two, and it must be done by June 30th. Uh, let me ask a question to be clear. So, if it's a constitutional amendment, the legislature has two-thirds vote in mm -hmm. order to make a constitutional yes. amendment. They don't have to go to the public no. and put it on the ballot directly. Right. And then what happens if they both win? If they, if, if they both go on the ballot, can they both? There's only one. There's only one. Oh, I thought you said there was another one. That no, I said there's another idea that's out there, oh, but, but, it's, it, not but it's not included okay. on okay. that because okay. it's much more controversial. Yeah. And so everyone pretty much agrees to this. Most of the, the folks who sign on as joint authors and co-authors are on the committees. Yeah. So the assumption is that it will get out of both houses. Uh, there's more than two-thirds majority in the, in the Senate as well as in the Assembly in terms of Democrats. So the ability to get it out should not be held up in anything unless something goes wrong because it's a pretty simple bill that addresses the issue that people felt was one of the most egregious things about the process. Well, let me go to the initiative process now. The um, this survey, that uh, report that I talked about uh, and Dr. Weber talked about, we talked to every stakeholder group imaginable, NAACP, Howard mm -hmm. Jarvis Tax Association, Pete Peterson, Joe Matthews, mm -hmm. uh, every, everyone that's ever thought about this issue. The common theme among all of them was the including the Chief Justice Ron George, um, former Chief Justice Ron George, mm -hmm. is that the process has been hijacked by organized special interests, yes. by money and organized special interests. So what do we do to fix it? So uh, this was one proposal. Uh, uh, there were two proposals on the initiative. Uh, the first one was independent citizen panels. And to quote what the report here says, to ensure impartiality and the full context and information required for the meaningful exercise of the franchise, independent citizen panels could be convened to evaluate key ballot measures like a jury, hearing pro and con arguments as well as testimony from experts on the ballot measures impact through a process conducted by professional mediators. 
their findings of what your vote means should be made available to the public, uh, at the general public in as wide a way as possible. The independent citizens panels should be sponsored by the Secretary of State's office and the review should appear in information pamphlets mailed to voters with their ballot online or in any other communication to voters about a ballot measure. One step further, and this is done in Oregon already uh, for some years, this kind of process. The other one was actually going a step further and say citizen assemblies should uh, be able to initiate ballot measures. Because as it is, if you don't have the time and the money, uh, how do you get your, uh, how does the average citizen get their uh, proposition on the ballot? Uh, so that was another one. But on the first one on, on the independent citizen review, um, Dr. Weber, what do you think uh, uh, of the prospects of that? Would that be useful in your view? Um, uh, is it something that would help bring a citizen's voice back to a process that many perceive as hijacked by special interests? Well, I would hope that it would. Um, you know, I, I don't want to be pessimistic because one thing I've learned is look like every great idea gets hijacked by somebody or people figure out how to get around it and destroy it. And so uh, and that's what happened, obviously, with our, the concept of direct, direct democracy as an alternative for folks being able to get things on the ballot. Um, my staff, has, I've asked them recently to look into it because one of the things I, I'm greatly concerned about is that we have a lot of propositions on our ballot. And if it probably were up to me, I wouldn't do propositions at all. But that's not up to me. Okay? <laughs> so, and everybody knows that because it, we have seen so much that has not gone right with the propositions. And it becomes even more difficult to try to explain to people what the propositions are. When we write these propositions, they go from person to person to person, and somebody has a complaint, somebody sues, somebody wants a word change, and it's just, it really, and so in the end, we end up with this, this language that nobody really likes in terms of that. So that, it may, the, the Oregon idea may be a possibility. If I've asked my staff to look into it, um, we're gonna, hopefully I'll get a chance to go to uh, Oregon or to deal with the folks that are there, to ask them how it operates. You know, California is much larger than Oregon, so uh, oftentimes what happens in some states just don't translate to California because of its, its size, and the travel through the state is enormous, and on and on and on. And so, um, and, and then, you know, to make sure that you have trusted messengers, people that people trust uh, in this process. And so, uh, and so I, we've look, we're looking into it to see what are we currently doing because we do a lot of stuff with regards to these initiatives. We publish a lot of material. We, have, we try to tell what happens if you vote for it, if you don't vote for it, all those kinds of things. And somehow or another, we're still not getting the information to the people who need it. And people still feel overwhelmed and frustrated by these initiatives. And then you have folks come in, as you know, with lots of money and pay for all the ads in the world and twist people's minds. And we end up voting against things that we normally would never have voted against. And we've seen this uh, with bail, you know, last time. We've seen it with, with, with that, with our schools, where people have spent a lot of time working on initiatives. Reputable individuals, judges, all worked on the bail initiative. Years we worked on it, and in one turn of events with a whole lot of money thrown in by bail industry, people reversed it, and then they thought they had actually voted for getting rid of bail, right. and they'd actually voted to get rid of 
the initiative that would have gotten rid of the bill. And so we've seen, I've seen the ugly of it. I've seen how after lots of work and lots of tension, and then the public was furious when they discovered that they had voted for the wrong thing. Uh, so we're looking into Oregon. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if it's a panacea for California, but we're looking into it and how would it operate in California. We're also looking into the things that we put out there and whether or not they're clear enough for people to understand. And I know that those things are oftentimes a result of a back and forth, back and forth, people writing it, then somebody complains about it, and we have to go through this process. Uh, to get the, the words that we think are appropriate for it. But, uh, but we're not, I'm not opposed to it. Uh, we're just in the process of looking at it right now. Yeah. And but hopefully the, concept, we, the concept makes sense. The to concept you. makes sense. Yeah. I, I, we have to do something that simplifies yeah. this initiative. And we've done the one-pagers on it. You know, we've done that, and then maybe written by lawyers. I hate to say that because my <laughs> husband was a lawyer. But anyway, um, uh, but written by folks that they understand, but the public doesn't understand. And so that's been our real, my, my concern with the, with the initiatives is that uh, I'm not sure if the folks who are out there voting really understand what's going on. And it's very easy for those with a tremendous amount of resources to manipulate it and undo years and years of community engagement, conversation, action on behalf of community, collaboration between legislators to arrive at a, at a bill or a, 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 an initiative and an issue that really addresses a problem and then have it go to the ballot. And it's gonna, and then it gets overturned. And we've got a number of those things coming up this year. Yeah, the um, the the one of the things the report pointed out was, uh, in in the legislative process, you have two houses. You have the Senate and mm -hmm. you have the Assembly, and there's what's called a second reading. So they kind of check each other, and in, there's no deliberative process in the ballot uh, initiative, uh, citizen ballot initiative. You get signatures, and it goes out there. Right. There's no. Uh, other public, independent public, kind of looking at it as a second reading, and that seems to be one of the big issues. So, um, Mark, you know this issue more than anybody. Not only you've written about it and thought about it and experienced, but you've polled about it, and you have some new polling uh, yeah. information today relevant exactly to this discussion. Thank you, Nathan. Well, everybody on this stage knows a lot about it, so <laughs> and certainly as as, as uh, much as me. So, it's it's kind of you to say that. Uh, we have been doing polling on initiatives since uh, 2000. And we just came out with some results that uh, were based on polling we did last month in which we went back and revisited a number of questions that we'd asked years ago about um, the public's attitudes towards the initiative process. I think first and foremost, um, it's really important to understand uh, that Californians have consistently said they think it's a good thing, that they have this option of making laws and, and, and public policy. Um, it's also important to understand that um, most Californians have consistently told us that they think the process needs changes, mm -hmm. that it's not perfect. Um, and one of the biggest complaints, and this came out in our recent polling, two-thirds of, of California likely voters, so it's about two-thirds of people saying it's a good thing, um, about 70 to 80 percent, depending upon what year we asked it, saying that changes are needed. Uh, about two-thirds of Californians say that, that there's too much special interest mm -hmm. influence in, um, in elections. Uh, that the, in, in the initiative process. And these feelings that, uh, about the initiative, I think it's very important to understand that 
especially at a time in which we're so polarized as, as a country and, and, and as a state, that there's agreement around this. You know, there's agreement that it's a good thing that we have this process. There's agreement that it needs to be changed. And there's agreement that one of the biggest issues is special interest. The other big issue for, for, for the average voter in California, though, is that, and we asked uh, this question uh, as well, uh, and this is more like in the 70 to 80 percent range also, saying that um, uh, when they're asked to vote on initiatives, it's often too confusing and complicated for them, that um, it, it needs to be unpacked. So. The results of all this, and nobody knows this but on, on stage than, than, than John does, is that, um, so we've had, in the history of California, we've had about 400 ballot measures or so in the history of the 111-year history. About a third of the time they pass, about two-thirds of the time. They don't, the default for Californians. And uh, is that um, if there's anything that gives them some doubt about it, and it's very easy to create doubt about things, um, uh, especially today and this age. They, they will vote no. They will pass, mm -hmm. and they will hope that the legislature will, will come up um, or that there will be a time when um, they'll be able to vote on it again. What people are looking for, and I think Dr. Weber um, uh, pointed to this, is that ideally they're voting on something in which there's some bipartisan consensus some consensus between business and labor that this is the best thing possible for everybody in the state, not one interest or another. Uh, if, they, if they get a signal, um, whether it's from a vote in the legislature, if it's some, a proposition, now it'll be very interesting to, to see what happens to the, the proposition on um, reforming the recall because uh, if there's, if the, the voters will look at, at the, uh, the voter pamphlet um, and, and, and that's one of, the, the voter information guide is one of the, the most important sources of information for the, for the average Californian. And they'll look, look at the vote in the legislature for this. Mm -hmm. And they'll try to get a sense of, you know, um, do people that I trust, do people that I'm voting for, do they believe this is the best thing forward? Or is this something else that's going to help one side and not the other, okay? And um, if there's a, a big uh, amount of money spent on the no side, if there's a sense that this is something that's dividing the parties or dividing business and labor, those I think are two of, two of the, the guideposts that people look for, then they'll vote no. Mm -hmm. And then they'll, they'll, wait, they'll wait for another uh, time to do this. This latest poll, uh, we also uh, asked, and I wrote a piece about this today, we, a question which, which I hadn't asked since uh, the, the round of, there, was, there were a round of reforms around the initiative process that took place roughly around 10 years ago. Um, and at that time, we had seen that there was a lot of support for the idea of having independent citizens uh, uh, commissions, uh, review commission. And in our poll today, 77% said, um, after telling us that the initiative process is a good thing, it needs changes, there's too much special interest, and they're asked to vote on things that are complica uh, too complicated and co too confusing for them. 77% with solid majorities across Democrats, Republicans, and independents said they would like to see um, an independent citizens uh, review commission 
um, which is just one way of getting citizens back involved. But what it's saying is citizens need to be involved. Yeah, it was kind of like a good housekeeping seal because people yeah. are, you know, I, I was saying to one of the interviews before, I probably voted for three strikes you're out many years yeah. ago without thinking about it uh, and the consequences of building new prisons or whatever. People aren't stupid, they just don't have the time to be informed. So this is kind of a, a way as a, to give signal to people that those who aren't special interest have looked at this and say, you know, this is a good thing or this is a bad thing for the public. There, there's got to be something other than the commercials on television yeah. on the yes and no side. There right. just has to be yeah. uh, for, uh, because they're, they're, if, if there are good ideas, people will say no to them. Right. Um, sometimes yep. because doubts have been created to the point of people who feel like I'm not an expert at right. this, I'm right. not a lawyer, right. um, and I'm being asked to vote on something that I don't understand. So the notion of having people discuss and deliberate and to have that information available in that trusted source of the voter information guide. Yep. 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 Now you mentioned, uh, uh, both Dr. Weber and you have mentioned the, complica the complicated language um, uh, that these things often appear in, in the voter pamphlet and how things get written and even there it can be considered biased. So I remember um, in 2014 our, our Think Long Committee for California um, helped pass uh, SB 1253 which allowed the legislature to negotiate with sponsors of initiatives uh, come to agreement and withdraw the initiative or whatever. But one part of that process, which wasn't adopted, was the ballot language, was the title uh, and summary language. Because the argument, in, and this was a bipartisan group, um, again, about a decade, well, 2014, bipartisan group, and the concern was the Attorney General is an uh, elected official, mm -hmm. and they will slant uh, things their way. And um, I probably shouldn't say this, but. Governor Brown, who was once Attorney General, said, yeah, that's the way it works. <laughs> so uh, the, one, of the, one of the proposals uh, I know that, John, you've been thinking about is dealing with the, lang the language of the ballot measures, what the title and the summary is, and how that affects the voter. Because again, the voter's looking for signals, mm -hmm. who do we trust, and then they're looking at the actual language. And those are the two things that relatively uninformed people on a broad array of issues are going to look to. So maybe you have some co comments on that. Yeah, so thanks, it's great to be on this panel with these excellent uh, panelists. Um, the fundamental challenge when it comes to running direct democracy, which everybody thinks in principle is a good idea, is how do you get the electorate sufficiently informed to make these decisions? So the idea that the people ought to make these decisions is, is not that controversial <clears throat> if you can get them sufficiently informed so they know what's going on. And I think that's where a lot of these concerns about special interest influence comes from. It's, it's, in principle, if the people were perfectly informed, special interests could spend as much money as they want and it wouldn't matter. But it's the fear that the voters don't actually understand that they can be tricked or misled by, by, by the interest that's really the problem. So I think the key thing we have to do to make direct democracy work in the state is to make sure we get as much information out to the voters as we can. So I think citizen review is a really interesting idea in that sense because you have um, as best, as best you can try to do, you're going to get some um, neutral parties, regular people out there to look at the issue and come out with some bottom line recommendation. You put that in the voter pamphlet and everybody can see that. So that's a, a nice way to help people to people cut through. But I think there's another thing which we need to really look carefully about, uh, carefully at, which is, which is super important, and that is the titling. 
mm -hmm. of, of, of the ballot. Mm -hmm. um, right now in, in this state, the Attorney General sets the title. Uh, the state had had a long history for you know 100 years or so when that was treated as mostly an administrative function. And that was, the idea was, let's, let's do something kind of objective and just lay it out there. Whether I like this issue or not, whether I want this issue to pass or not, let's just, let's just call it for what it is. But we've seen in the last few years that the people in those offices have been, have been um, taking titles that are, are, are um, pretty, pretty widely agreed to be slanted. Uh, and the one that got a lot of attention was, I think, Proposition 6 uh, in, in uh, 2018, which had to do with a gas tax repeal. There was a proposal to repeal the gas tax. Uh, the, the plain English version of the title is repeal the gas tax. Uh, but it was written by the, by the then Attorney General's office as something like um, remove, uh, remove uh, uh, transportation funding sources or something, or something <laughs> like that. Uh, and this was taken to some courts and some judges said, yeah, that, that's actually not an accurate representation. That's slanted. But that's not our job to, you know, it's not our job to tell the Attorney General what to do. It was soundly um, um, condemned by uh, editorial boards of all the major newspapers across the state of all, of all, of all political uh, grounds. But if we want the voters to understand and not be misled, if we want them to make informed decisions, we have to give them an objective title. This is, this is like step number one. If, mm -hmm. if, it's, if it's a deceptive title, it's not going to work. So it seems like at this point, it's, it's probably not going to be possible to put the genie back into the bottle. Uh, it seems like this, um, the precedent has been set. The attorney generals feel they can, they can slant these titles. And so it seems like the, probably the path of, uh, the safest path at this point is to take this out of that office and give it to some other body. Um, I don't know if it's a legislative analyst. I don't know if it's a citizen commission. I think that doesn't, the, the details of that can be worked mm -hmm. out, but, but I think it needs to be taken away from a partisan elected official at this point and given to someone who's, who's, who's closer to being, to being nonpartisan. Let me ask you in, uh, I know in Switzerland, I don't know, is Joe Matthews here? Uh, Joe, I don't know, in Switzerland. Over there. Uh, in Switzerland, um, uh, they have a committee that writes the language and they have a plaque on their wall that says, Think like a philosopher, write like a farmer, in order to make it clear to people. But it's taken out of any partisan capacity. Um, I, think, I think in this report, at least the discussion I had with the former Chief Justice Ron George about who should do it, he suggested the Secretary of State's office uh, is considered, you're, 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 a, you're an elected official, but is considered a, uh, a fair and objective operation because you run elections. Right. The other suggestion that you made about legislative analysts, uh, Chief Justice George said, well, then people think it's the legislature, because you know, people aren't informed what's a legislative mm -hmm. analyst, mm -hmm. so they think the legislator's writing, and they say, no way we're going to vote for that. Maybe so, you put a little uh, citizen, so anyway, but citizen, the, citizen I, tiling commission or something. I, yeah, I don't know. You know, the, something you want to create a bureaucracy for this, but yeah. um, <laughs> no, you know, but, but, but just, but it's, it's not hard to do, actually. Yeah, um, yeah. Anyway, the, but uh, that's a political battle. Uh, uh, that one. So um, anyway, uh, there's uh, some questions from the audience here about, um, uh, and some comments, uh, pointing out that in Oregon, mm -hmm. uh, they have this, as, as Dr. Weber noted, that they already have this process. Uh, it's in the Secretary of State's office. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, it, uh, the experience is that it, uh, the, the, the positive experience is, is that it does give people this kind of good housekeeping seal and they trust it. Uh, the question is still the same, is that does the message get to people as much as someone spending $222 million mm -hmm. on a media campaign? Yeah. Um, and that's always the 
the conundrum is the money uh, in the system. And I guess there's no way, because of um, US Supreme Court, there's, money is considered free speech. Uh, some have suggested there, that uh, uh, there, there should be some way around that for propositions, as opposed to like, because the Supreme Court ruling, as I understand it, is about elected officials. It's not about ballot initiatives. And um, do you have any, any thoughts on that? Because that's the, that's the ultimate problem, aside from non-information, is those who twist information with resources. Well, I, I think money, um, you know, one of our great challenges, obviously, is the fact that even when we have attempted to control money in, t in the process, in terms of taking away those who can uh, hire people to get signatures and right. so forth and so on. And we've written legislation for that and it's all been overturned by somebody going to court and the judge saying, no, they can, you know, they can do what they want with their money and so therefore they can actually hire people to do that. Uh, we tried to put restrictions on who can do it and what they have to say and because a lot of times there's a lot of deception in people signing initiatives and then discovering that that's not what they really signed. This right. person told them that. So we've had some challenges with that and, and, and um, um, I'm not sure how you get money out of it. We try to do it uh, legislatively, and then each time you try, you get so far, and then the courts will, will turn you down. And, uh, and as a result, money then becomes a central piece of it. Uh, trying to get information to the public is extremely important. Um, having had initiatives on the ballot, and some of them being successful and some not, you, you don't even know why some are not successful. I mean, you know, because we passed, what, Prop 17, which is pretty radical to allow uh, ex of those who had been in prison who are on parole to vote. And that just kind of whizzed on through while we were looking at other things. And I don't know where the people's attention span went somewhere and came back. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, 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 it was hard to figure out because there was almost no money for Prop 17. Yeah. And it was a grassroots effort and people pushing it and folks kind of read it or whatever. And, and, and when everything else was falling apart, I looked up and said, oh my God, they must have fell asleep when they got to 17, you know, because <laughs> they wiped out all these other ones. I don't, so it's hard to say exactly what pushes, what moves uh, uh, the public when, they, when they're confronted with these issues, maybe because they spent so much money on the other issue, they didn't spend much fighting mm -hmm. 17, and they right. woke up and discovered that they didn't fight 17, and as a result, maybe the public had a chance to really read it without a gazillion commercials telling them that it was horrible. Um, so, I mean, that, it, it's really, you know, we're, at least for me, I'm, I'm wrestling with the issue of all the stuff we've done, has it gotten to the people? Probably not. Uh, simplifying the language, we go round and round in circles. It hasn't gotten to where I think it should be so that people feel comfortable. And, and as a default, people just vote against it, you know. And, and sometimes that is the worst thing because they really are taking things out that, that they themselves have struggled to achieve. Yeah. So, um, uh, but but it is it is it is a an ongoing challenge in our office for me personally to basically figure out the best way to make sure that those that these initiatives get uh, the information out. You know what is this initiative going to do to you if you vote for it? Your taxes will go up or what? I mean, what is it? People want to know what are the consequences of a vote. And sometimes in the midst of all the conversation, they don't they still don't know. They don't know whether it's good for them or bad for them. In those cases, they start looking for the names of those who signed on. Exactly. Oh, that's my council moment. That's right. my friend. Okay, that's okay. That's, that's ACLU. That's Planned Parenthood. That's mm -hmm. this, that's that. 
agencies and organizations that they can identify with, then that gives them some sense of comfort. But maybe not, uh, they don't, and if they can't identify any of that, then the default is always to vote against it, yeah. uh, which could be devastating if you spent years building something and all of a sudden, real quickly, because people didn't understand it, they vote against it. So we must do something, and whether it's, it's the Oregon model, and I'm looking at that, or something else, I'd ask my staff to bring me all the stuff that we put out to see if it makes sense, because some of the stuff they put out, I don't understand. And I have to go back and ask, you know, what does this really do, and why are we using this kind of language, and what, you know, what, are, what, what are we really trying to say to people? And, uh, and so we, we, we have to have a be better method. Maybe we should basically bring it to a group of kids that are 10 years old and ask them, do they, do they understand <laughs> what we just said? Uh, it, you know, and if they don't, then we need to value that and go figure out how to say what we want to say in a way that they understand it. Um, especially since we've decided that we want initiatives, that we want the process, that people want it, even though they know that it's just really difficult to get something good. Um, the, the citizens initiative might work, you know, um, and, and it may be something that's good. We're looking into it uh, to see how it would work in California in terms of finding those individuals who can do it. Um, uh, and, and would we do it for the whole, all of the initiatives? I'm not really sure. Some things are pretty, pretty perfunctory and they just come, come and go. But, uh, but surely the controversial ones that have, uh, where we know we have folks with lots and lots of money that are, and it's a battle of the dollars in terms of who's going to get the attention. Yeah. John? Just one other thought on, on money, because I think that's something that all of us who pay attention to this are very concerned about. And certainly we saw Uber, Lyft, and, and those guys uh, run a you know, record-breaking campaign re mm -hmm. recently. Um, I'm, a, I'm a little bit contrarian on, on some of the views that are taken about money. I, I, I actually think that, um, I actually think that democracy needs needs campaigns. It needs mm -hmm. people to spend money. The voters need to hear both sides. And I actually think it's healthy for groups to go at it and, and try to get their argument out in the public. I think that the first thing you see a totalitarian regime do is try to stop people from talking about issues in public. So I, I don't think we want to go down that path. I think we want to make sure that, I think we, we need it. We require it in our democracy that these arguments mm -hmm. get out. Here's the, the problem is this. The problem is when only one side speaks. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the voters don't hear the other side. That's when they're likely to be misled uh, and not vote their interests. So, so, so I think the issue is not so much that we have spending. I think spending and, frankly, campaigning is a, is a healthy thing. I think one-sided spending or not, or one side not having a voice is the problem. Mm -hmm. And so just, just talking out loud here, one idea that we might want to consider is that if you have a campaign where one side has no money, one could imagine some public funding to at least let, that, let all the voices get out on the table. So again, it's not trying to stop other people from speaking. So I wouldn't want to say, well, this side doesn't have any money. Let's take everybody down to zero as well, because there's some, some of the reforms want to do that. I would say it's OK if they spend, but let's make sure the other side spends too. So the voters can hear the arguments and come to a reason, a reason decision. So matching just, funds, so matching just, funds for ballot initiatives. Matching like funds, they have but in some elections. yeah, but what I don't like often matching funds is sort of like, well, but but we're gonna matching funds often come with attempts to cap the overall level of spending. Mm -hmm. I'm, un, I'm I'm uncomfortable with that. What I want to make sure is that all voices do get a chance to to get yeah. their argument for yeah. the public. Well, the idea I want to come to. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was uh, just going to add that um, uh, as Dr. Weber mentioned, uh, there are a lot of measures on the ballot and what, how would you decide what you wanted to focus on, uh, the, 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 the Citizens Review Commission to focus on. I think that would be one of the tasks that the Citizens Review Commission would have to also determine what's important. Um, because 
if there was a sense that it was the legislature or um, an elected official who was deciding what's important, then that in itself would, you know, I think not, not send the signal. I do want to point out one thing about our direct democracy system in California today that's good, <laughs> as we're talking about all these things. I mean, and, and I saw this in the, in, in, in the 2021 uh, recall. Yes, there were, there were elements of it, uh, specifically part two of the ballot, that raised questions about um, uh, whether it was a democratic process or not. The good thing about the, that we can build on and, and further improve uh, the, the citizens initiative uh, uh, process today is that if we uh, go back to 2014 when Dean Peterson was running for Secretary of State compared to today, we have 4.3 million more voters mm -hmm. in California today. Yeah. This is at a time in which we're growing slowly as a state. We, don't have, we, we have done a tremendous job of signing people up to be voters, number one. Mm -hmm. uh, that's very important for direct democracy. But number two, we figured out ways to get people to vote. Uh, the mail-in ballots. Mail-in ballots. Mm -hmm. right. um, the biggest reform to come out of uh, the recall so far, and maybe there'll be others, but the most important was AB 37. Putting um, uh, in the future, every time we have an election, Everybody's going to get a, get a ballot in the mail, like um, you know, number of us have. Today, I brought mine. Visual aid. You know, <laughs> this this was uh, a very very important something that came out of the tragedy of, of the pandemic. But um, our 2020 election in California, everybody got one of these, mm -hmm. and the recall where everybody was worried that we're having a pandemic. We're if you can't have, direct democracy can't work if people aren't uh, participating right. as a democratic mm -hmm. institution. We have that um, today in California uh, at a time when, uh, when the nation was struggling around uh, uh, the, um, uh, you know, the controversies over mm -hmm. uh, uh, counting ballots and things like that. Of all the things that happened in our recall in 2021, and considering that that the year started with the January 6th insurrection um, in the Capitol, uh, we went through a recall in California in which uh, the winners and losers uh, with grace and dignity um, believed the results of that election. <laughs> right. And people got, got to participate in it because we had a, we, we had a high voter turnout. Um, so it wasn't like, uh, you know, fewer voted than in 2018. And um, uh, we, we had more people registered to vote than ever before. And that's something that we can now build on. I want to go to the audience for questions in a second, but I would just add to that. The more participation, the more the need for the kind of thing that Absolutely. we're talking about. Yes. Because the more people are involved, the more people need to have better information. The last thing you want is more, pe more voters yeah. with less information. Right. Yes. That'd be bad news. Yeah. Uh, OK. Um, any, uh, There's right there. I can't see, oops, okay, yeah, go ahead. Um, I'd like to explore an idea and get the response from the panel. Taking off on the idea of the citizens' uh, reviews, the, uh, the citizens' commissions, um, it's also difficult to get a proposition on the ballot. It costs millions of dollars to get all the signatures that are needed 
and the process is that people are hired to go out and get these signatures, and people sign it without really knowing what it is, and that's the way it is. If somebody has a really good idea, that's not enough. You've got to have money. What if the what if this is a kind of a radical democracy idea? But what if the citizens panel was there? Uh, what if it only took ten thousand signatures, say, so that if you had enough people in your group, you could get that? And and what was proposed would go to a citizens commission, maybe fifty, a hundred people, two hundred people, and they would consider and randomly select it so that it's a microcosm of the state, and they would consider it and deliberate about it and hear from the different sides and then say, you know what, this should be on the ballot. Or they would say, you know what, this shouldn't be on the ballot, and so it's not gonna be on the ballot. What if that were our process rather than this money-driven process that we have now? Thank you. Um, any responses? There's something like, uh, that's kind of the idea of the citizens' assemblies. I'm not sure about the 10,000 signature or whatever, but the idea, the idea of a, a body that's chosen sim similar to the um, redistricting commission, you know, kind of random but representing the whole public, can propose things because that, that's another way to deal with the money issue. The mm -hmm. citizens can bring it directly to the ballot without having to, you know, have the money and resources that uh, Uber and Lyft do. Mm -hmm. That might be something. I don't, anyone has a response on that? I, I want to say something. Um, it's not really radical, uh, but why do you have elected officials mm -hmm. if you're going to engage in an assembly and another assembly and another group and another group? You've already chosen a group. Mm -hmm. The question is making that group work for you. And, um, and so that, that's the only thing. I, you know, oftentimes we keep adding mm -hmm. groups, adding groups. It's not that difficult to get an initiative on the ballot if your elected official offers the bill. I mean, this a, S, SCA of, of six, and I've done some with, with uh, when we did SCA five and some others. Uh, if you hold your elected official accountable, which is reason why we have them, because we realize that it's too difficult to get 22 million Californians together to do something. So you, you divide it up into groups, half a million for the assembly, and you basically have an elected official who's supposed to represent the interests of those individuals. Now I'm saying that because I think you can keep adding on. when, when the, the system is simple to the extent of getting something on the ballot. That's what's happening with SCA 6. But it, it's happening because the elected officials can get an initiative on the ballot with two-thirds vote and, uh, and basically put it on the ballot without the governor's signature or anything else. So that happens. Um, so I just, I, I think it's good to get input. I think it's good to get our communities. As I told you, when I was in the assembly, I had uh, ongoing meetings with my, with my district on there ought to be a law. And, and as a result, they, we met every year for a while and then we'd meet and they would bring their ideas and their suggestions and the people in the community would talk about how it affect them or not. And as a result, we actually got a couple of bills not only written but also passed and put into law uh, from my community. And I think that's possible. I mean, I, so I, I'm just cautious always, always when I have to keep adding more groups because somebody's gonna challenge whether or not that group has the authority to represent anybody. You know, uh, you picked them, somebody picked them, and so now you've got all this other kind of stuff. So I think first, for me, people need to make their elected officials work for them. Mm -hmm. And I always believe that I worked for a group of people in San Diego, and if they had issues, it was their job to bring it to me. If I didn't see the issue, or if I couldn't convince them it wasn't an issue, uh, then they need to get a new person to represent them. You know, that's, that's very direct democracy to vote them out. 
so I think, I, you know, I, I like the idea. I think it's good, but I think you have to kind of somehow or another tailor it down to a smaller size in a state with, with 40 million people. Uh, Mark. I, I just want to channel uh, the California voter on, on this issue that we're talking about. And that is that as well as saying that um, what you're asking me to vote on is too complicated and too complex, um, our polling has also consistently said that people, are, are, people feel like they're asked to vote on too many initiatives. So the last thing we want to do uh, from the voters' perspective, because if, like you were to put this on the ballot and say this will give everybody a chance to have you know, 20 initiatives on the ballot instead of five, they'd say no. I, I don't want to be asked to vote for more things. I want to be asked to vote for the most important things that, um, and, and so, and this is really important uh, context for direct democracy uh, in general, whether we're talking about the recall or the initiative or the referendum. The purpose is it's a check and balance on, on, on the executive and legislative branch. It wasn't supposed to be, you know, the form of government uh, where decision making uh, happened, but rather if something went wrong somewhere, and that's when the voters are saying they want uh, direct democracy, whether it's initiatives or re recalls, they're saying they want the ability to, to stand up and be heard when something um, has gone amiss or something really important um, is not taking place. Uh, but not, they, they're not being, they don't want to do a lot of the work, as, as uh, Dr. Weber said, um, that they've sent people um, to Sacramento to do. Question um, on I, your right. A question, um, so there's a question here from the uh, chat. But let me just say one thing about the sentiment behind that is yeah. that those uh, of us who observe Sacramento for a long time mm -hmm. know there's certain players that are bigger than others. Yes. Like the CTA, the California Teachers Association, mm -hmm. or the real estate developers from Orange County. And uh, the legislature is not necessarily only there to represent the public. That's just a, a problem. And that's why the initiative is there. That's right. Mm -hmm. But then the initiative shouldn't be used by the same interests. It should be used by the public, that's which is right. what we're talking about. Yeah. So one of the questions, in the, so discussing this, I, uh, you know, I'm always surprised because I, I go around the world and talk on this subject and hear people talking about it. You always think California is ahead of everything, but it's not. So as uh, a question here um, about direct democracy supposed to allow citizens to bring forward ideas. Most ideas now come these days from online exchanges between people and groups. Why shouldn't online tools lead to the ballot? And I say California's behind because Chile, which had a dictatorship uh, a few decades ago, is the public's writing the Constitution and there are all kinds of online forums for feeding ideas into mm -hmm. the Constitutional Convention. Couldn't California do that kind of thing? Is the Secretary of State's office wired up to hear the public? Oh, I, I think it's possible. I mean, we've done a number of um, town halls around voting, and uh, not only with persons in the room, but, but uh, being uh, live streamed on, on uh, all the various platforms as well. So uh, most of the folks are doing that. Now, whether or not, uh, as, you know, as I said, almost every good idea you have, somebody's going to turn it into something else. Because as we get online, we also know that the other people get online, too, and monopulate the conversation. Uh, <laughs> come in and, and take charge of the conversation. So you're not, 
you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's very challenging to try to keep those out who you don't want to, who have the power and the authority to do certain kinds of things or to influence the legislature. Um, but, uh, but it's not impossible. I mean, we do that all the time. We do, uh, most legislators have online conversations and discussions now because they've learned how to do it as a result of COVID and, uh, and, and get input from their elected officials or from their constituents uh, about uh, legislation, ideas, those kinds of things that they'd like to push forward. Um, I, you know, I just have to also say we have some very, very, and I don't want to overlook the fact that we have some very, very good and powerful community organizations that are organized, grassroots, uh, and, and, you know, impact the schools, impact policies concerning budgets. They, they show up in great numbers uh, to advocate, and they should, and that's great. We had 600 K-12 kids at the Capitol the other day arguing for their for a change in budget policy uh, and uh, with regards to the, the budget for schools. And so, you know, communities there, there are some really good, strong communities. So I don't want to seem like we don't get community input because we get a lot uh, from all the communities that are there, very diverse. But, um, but I think in any case, we have to make sure that whatever we're getting is really uh, reflective of, of what people want and that, and that it gets to more than just those who are most politically active. That's one of the challenges I have oftentimes is making sure that what I'm listening to, yes, it comes from this group that has the time, the energy, the resources, and they're the voice, okay? But there are also some folks who just work every day and don't have time for that. And as a result, their voice is not heard. So how do we continue to, to push this issue? And I, I, and I, I firmly believe it's, 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 it, it is not only at my level, Secretary of State's level and others, but like I say, as an elected official, I spent a, I spent a lot of my time dealing with my community, making sure they understood everything I did, every bill that was written, and understood why I voted the way I did. Everybody doesn't do that, but that's what the public should demand of their elected official. Because we're asking sometimes, I even find it in schools, we're asking parents to do things that parents don't, have no, don't even know how to do. You know, they can do certain things, they can hold people accountable, but they can't run schools. And I, I become concerned if we're saying, well, we think we can do this with the community, and then I ask myself, I ask you the question, what community are you talking about? You know, are you talking about every community? Have you included, you know, because there are some communities that are more organized than others. Uh, are, you, are you dealing with those who have only the political interest and who have more resources to be able to attend these events and be present and have input at that level? Have we really gotten into every community to make sure they're empowered to deal with their elected officials and with all the issues that they face? And so I think it's great to pull these groups together. My concern is to make sure that if we do groups like this, that those groups really impact and really represent all of these communities that I know have been left out, not intentionally, but simply because of issues like time and space and resources. I mean, those kinds of things. We, you know, the Zoom world became everybody's world at some point because they had to. But before that, there were very few people in poor neighborhoods who knew anything about Zoom, who had any of the technology necessary to engage in these conversations. They may have known a little bit about Zooming something on, on their phone, but beyond that, they had very little knowledge of this technology that we now have. And so it's good that they do, because I think that gives us an opportunity to engage all of the communities in California, rather than just those who are most concerned and most informed. Uh, Nathan, question on your right. Okay. Either, <clears throat> I know this is your time is limited, uh, but with regard to your idea about getting the representatives involved, which I think is a good idea, um, is it possible to have, and this may already take place, do they vote on the propositions as they're then put onto the ballot? So that a voter would say, okay, my representative says thumbs up, 
that tells me something. Or do they not say anything, which is concerning to me? What's the status of that? You're talk, uh, you mean, in, so legislative, things that come out of the legislature, they would vote, they would vote on. Um, but, but, but initiatives that are on the ballot with petitions, though, they wouldn't vote on. They, so, they're so, perfectly free to opine, and they well, often well, do. Yeah, but, right. but see, but let's take the initiatives. Mm -hmm. well, I guess what I'm asking as a voter, mm -hmm. and having a representative as part of it, mm -hmm. is what is your uh, position, Rep my representative? Should I right. vote yes or no? Right. And uh -huh. if they are never asked, mm -hmm. then that's going to be difficult for people to know what to do. But if their representative says, I'm for it, mm -hmm. and I mean an official vote, not kind of a discussion on a copy, uh -huh. we're going to go on the record in writing, this is what we want. So then voters could say, hey, my representative, either I like them or don't mm -hmm. like them, I know where they stand, it tells me something about how to vote. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think that's an interesting idea. I, I also think that uh, that's something that, um, yeah, that the voters would want to know. Where, where, does, where does my representative stand on these issues? I do know that uh, I, I, I thought the question was going to be when the legislature places something on, on the ballot, um, generally those measures pass. Mm -hmm. um, like 80% or something like that compared to the, the a third of the in initiatives. And that's because in these cases, the legislature's taken a stand. Um, the, the, the voters will take a look at how their representative did and people who represent whatever party they're part of. Um, and so that, um, that I think is an important uh, piece of information for voters and hopefully this fall when voters go to the polls, they they ask their representatives, mm -hmm. where where do, if not the whole body, where do you stand on this issue, whether you're uh, in Congress or the legislature? Mm -hmm. Oh right uh, yeah. Sorry, it's hard for me to see in the light. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. Uh, I come from Silicon Valley. We all take ideas are floating in the air all the time, <laughs> and I came I came up with some crazy idea like this guy before that maybe can uh, boost the direct democracy system in some way. So the idea is basically try to remove the role of the petitioners how we know it nowadays. Hmm. So imagine this: we have like a platform with all the initiative with no legal with no legal language. Everything like understandable, and you have like a delivery style platform that people can go to your houses and collect your signatures in in that way that you can sign a signature, but not only one, but all of the all, all of them that you, hmm. you are able or you are willing to sign. Hmm. And that guy is paid by the delivery activity, not by the petitioning activity. So in this sense, we are removing all the bad consequences of having these guys on the street trying to convince people and be paid by that. Hmm. Actually, I would like to share that idea in, in, in this room. And just, uh, I don't know, I, I would like to, to know your feedback in this. Uh, John is. Uh, yeah, because there's a whole bit, there's a several questions here yeah. or comments. And I think Joe's question was a little bit about this. And I, I think the general theme is that we're still running this, this 
direct democracy thing on sort of a 20th century model or a 19th century model. And so it's the 21st century now. So it, there's interesting things. If, I guess if we had more time, I'd like to know, Dr. Weber, if there's things like online, online signature collection is a no-brainer, it seems to me. Eventually, we'll, we'll be doing that once, once we figure out. But, but can we use online and, and technology to break down the barriers? Because right now, you have to be it's either rich individuals or rich groups to put a measure on the ballot. And that's not, that's not ideal. Um, and are there ways to break that down so you don't have to pay people to stand out there? Why not just let people go online and click if they want to sign this and that would take down the barrier? Yours is another idea. I, I don't know what the right answer is. My, my own instinct is that we should, be, we, should be, we should be experimenting. We should be trying some things. If they don't work, we can stop doing them. But we have to keep a sense of innovation to our democracy. We have to keep a sense of trying new things and always trying to make it better as technology as technology expands, I think we're a little bit in the mode of, well, we never do that. That's not what we do. But you know, it's it's a new it's a new century, and other countries are actually experimenting and doing things using technology and online. And we have a lot of smart people in Silicon Valley and all over the country who can actually think of clever things. I actually think we should have a little more innovation going forward, and, and you know, we can abandon them if they don't work. But but trying stuff. Do you want to comment on that? No, I, I, I you know we we're looking at all kinds of things, obviously. Um, as a result of online now, whether it's online notary, we've got some bills on that and some other things to see what works. We've got uh, the open source, and we're dealing with that in terms of policy and, and how that's going to work and not going to work. So I, I, think, I think we're looking at all those things. All of them have some level of risk involved in terms of security, mm -hmm. making sure that it's actually taking place. And, and as I said, that's one of the challenges. Anything you come up with, folks can figure out how to get around the system, or how mm -hmm. to rig it to their advantage or whatever it may be. So we have to be very careful in just embracing something without uh, understanding exactly what we're embracing. But also I think, you know, Mark said something very important I, that People don't want more initiatives. They really don't want them. They want to understand what's on there. I mean, I, you know, the, the recall election was so simple because it only had two questions. Do you want to get rid of the governor? And if he, if he happens to be gotten rid of, who would you pick? We had record numbers of people turning those things in early because it was simple. They knew how to handle the ballot. But people get frustrated. So we've got initiatives that are coming forward. If you add more or you make it easier for people to do initiatives, I'm not sure if that's what people want. Mm -hmm. They want us to address the issues that may be more complex mm -hmm. or whatever that maybe is difficult for a legislator to, to do. But I can envision us, you know, as our goal, we think, to, to have more initiatives. Uh, I don't think that's our goal. Mm -hmm. uh, our goal is to have initiatives that, are, that address issues that we think are important and that people can understand. Mm -hmm. So that when they go to vote, they're doing that. But, but I'm just saying, if you make the process so that any and everybody can just get online and start some stuff and do some things, you're going to end up with a whole lot of initiatives. People are saying even the fact that we have 100 people running for governor, you know, people say, you know, there should be some qualifications or something other than age and breathing. And, um, and so, uh, you know, because why? It just, it just overwhelmed people to look at it. And, and some people never intended to campaign, never intended to be governor, all these kinds of things. And so. Uh, I just think our process should be better, more effective, get to the people at the information they need, and, be, and, and hopefully make some changes that folks believe in. Uh, so I would look into that, but I'm not sure whether it would increase the number what of initiatives. Beg pardon? What is the problem? Is it not the goal to have like a more balance? So right now, we have only one third of the initiatives out there making five years progress. Why do you think you balance the representative system? You, would, you may still end up with a third. 
the question, I mean, if you, if you actually deal with people, and I know our time is up, if when you deal with the public, one of the things that they say all the time, is the ballot is too long. Mm -hmm. It's too many pages. It's too many initiatives. They don't understand the stuff. Why didn't you people solve that on your own? Why'd you bring it to us? Well, sometimes, constitutionally, we have to take it to them. But the, the frustration, I, we didn't hear the frustration so much with the recall, because like I said, it was two questions, easy to answer. People got it done, turned it in, and it was done. But when we get to November, and, 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 and we start dealing with, because that's when the initiatives are now on the ballot, uh, it, it's going to be overwhelming, as it was in the last election, to have 15, 20 initiatives on the ballot, and you're not sure wh where to go with them. And it's lots of reading and pages and stuff like that. So I, I don't know. If, I think our, our challenge is to make sure people understand what is on the ballot and, uh, and obviously trying to get money out of the process so that those who want to do initiatives feel have a sense that they can. And that may be the way to get to it. I'm not sure. Um, I have to we got to uh, close down here in a second, but I just want to note one comment on, on that exactly on the chat thing about, uh, about Switzerland. You know, we adopted the um, direct democracy system from Switzerland in 1914, mm -hmm. but as California always does, we embellished it a lot <laughs> and left out some important things. So in Switzerland, actually, there are only three or four uh, initiatives a year, mm -hmm. and they're all on certain days, which are voting only on that. So precisely mm -hmm. not to overwhelm, but to check representative democracy, right. exactly. not to, and to balance it, but mm -hmm. not to substitute for it. Nate, so, I think he might have been saying something slightly different, because they have three or four elections per year. Yep. Every three months they're having an election, mm -hmm. actually. They, they're crazy. <laughs> Yeah. And that's why their turnout rates are so low too. It's like thirty yeah. percent. Crazy, maybe crazy good. I didn't, I didn't mean to pejorative, mm -hmm. but yeah, I mean, yeah, 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 it, yeah. It, it looks wild in, in terms of what we're used yeah. to. Yeah, and they and they vote important on some some things are important, some things aren't important. Yeah. So it's like every democracy, people choose what they, they want to focus on. One last round of uh, things to say, and then I think we have to. Um, let the audience go to uh, reception. I, I would just like to say that. Um, at this point in time, what's very important from, again, the public's perspective is that they trust the elections in California. In the polling that, that we did in uh, 2020, whatever the, the questions and since then, whatever the questions that people had nationally around what was going on in the state, they trusted our elections. So any changes that we're talking about making, we, we need to keep in mind that we're operating in a time in which trust in institutions is challenged. And right now, we're fortunate in California to, to have an, uh, an election system that people trust. And uh, so I just would, would encourage all of us to think about whatever changes we make, let's, let's keep in mind that we want, that, we want to keep that trust that, that, that's very hard to earn in, in, the, in, in the world we live in today. John, last comment, and then Dr. Oh, Moore. I'm good. I think we went over. I don't want to yeah. keep okay. everyone. I'm happy you don't to have chat. to say anything. Uh, yeah. You don't have to say anything. Thank you, though. Okay. Dr. Weber. I, I just want to thank everybody for being here this yeah. evening. Uh, it, uh, the conversation is good. Um, and many of your ideas that you've tossed out to us, we've, we, we've looked at in our office and we'll continue to look at it because we are tr truly trying to figure out the best way to, to educate uh, the public. And we've increased our education budget 
uh, with regards to making sure that people understand the process, understand what they, what they have to do. Some people think if they don't vote for an initiative, their ballot is invalid. So we've got a whole educational process that mm -hmm. we have to deal. Because as we increased our voting base to over 80 some odd percent, uh, we've got to basically ratchet up the education and the engagement that's there. But uh, it's a good time for, for, for elections in California. And we hope that we can do the best we can to eventually get to the point where 100% of all Californians who are eligible are registered to vote. That's our goal. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you. Everyone, um, those, who, uh, those who are not in the room, uh, if you want to uh, see this uh, again to study it, the fascinating conversation, uh, or tell someone to look at it, Zocalo Public Square, uh, you can uh, search that and you'll find this on there. Thank you, everybody. Thank you.